Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have another guest on the show and I'm speaking to Melissa Riccardi who is from Melbourne, Australia. Melissa is a mindset and empowerment coach and her company is called Life by Design. Melissa works with women to help them improve their self-esteem, work on their inner child, essentially become their best selves. And Melissa has experience of bulimia and binge eating and has been on her own journey in overcoming issues with food. So she's able to really support her clients if they're struggling in this area. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to Melissa today. Let's get to the interview. Hi there, Mel. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So Mel, could you just tell our listeners a little bit more about kind of who you are and what you do? Yes. So I am Melissa and I'm an empowerment coach. I've spent the last few years specifically helping women with emotional eating and binge eating. So that's been my my focus and because of a lot of the struggles that I that I dealt with in my past. So yeah, just overall helping women empower themselves around any area of their lives that they're struggling with. And, and food has been one of the areas that I struggled a long time with. So I can definitely relate to all the women that come to me for, for food-related issues, it's, you know, it can be, it's, it's hard. It, it can be very, very difficult to navigate. So I love, that's what I love to do. Mm, sure. No, it sounds really fantastic. And Mel, can you tell us a bit more as well about kind of like, you know, in the UK at the moment, we're like stuck in miserable lockdown where we kind of are really restricted. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's so sad. I have a lot of clients there, so I, can, I understand. Sure. So what's it like for you? Because like you're in Australia, aren't you? What part of Australia are you from? In Melbourne. Okay. So sure. So how are you affected by the pandemic, if at all, at the moment? Well, we had to go into two lockdowns. So we're just kind of coming out of two lockdowns. I think November, we, or early December, we had all of our kind of quote unquote rights back. So we're able to take, like just wear masks inside. But Pretty much everything has been quite normal, but now the cases are, I think, six, six we've had, and for for like a few weeks we didn't have any cases at all, and now we we have a few. But overall, though, the the rules are pretty much the same, and we can do pretty much anything. There's still restrictions of restaurants and things like that, but other than that, it's pretty it's pretty fine. There's just restrictions on how many people in you know enclosed spaces, but other than that, you know, I can't complain compared to other parts of the world. Oh, and do you do or is all your work online at the moment with your empowerment work? Is that is that kind of all online in the pandemic? Yes, it's always been online. I, I haven't, no, I don't think I've ever had in-person stuff. So all my work has always been online. So it hasn't really affected my work in any way. Sure, that's good. good yeah, yeah. No, sure. And do you have clients from all over the world, do you? Yeah, I do. In the UK, US, Europe, all over the world, which I love. <laughs> it makes things oh. interesting. Sure. Yeah, definitely. So Mel, could you tell us a little bit about sort of your story and what led you to do the work that you do today? Absolutely. So in high school, you know, my whole life I've struggled with food since I was a child. I mean, when I was a little girl, 
I think my, my, my struggles began when I started to just compare myself with other kids at school because of the things that they were saying. And, you know, little girls, when you're in primary school, you kind of compare yourself and, and you're looking at your body compared to other girls' bodies and you're like comparing, you know, different things. And I physically, you know, my boobs grew quicker than the other girls and just advanced, you know, much, much quicker in terms of everything really to do with my physical body. And I didn't really know how to navigate that. So that was number one. I look different than the other girls, in my opinion. And so other than that, my my body was, you know, people would tease me about being chubby and things like that. But really, when I look back at those pictures, it was just I was just growing up and I wasn't chubby at all, in my opinion. But back then, because I received those comments and because I was comparing myself to how other girls looked, my body image problems started from there. So through that comparison and the comments that other kids were making. And then in high school, it just got worse and worse. And, you know, people calling me fat and people calling me, you know, this and that. And so I decided to get attention. I had to lose weight. And so I went on a diet where I, I can't remember which diet it was, but it was extremely restrictive. And I had lost a lot of the weight and I got a lot of attention from the boys and the girls and just a lot of compliments and things like that. And the diet, I think, went for like two, three years and I was doing exercise and things like that at the same time. So I was doing a lot of exercise and restricting my calories a lot. And I was just very, very, people would say disciplined, but I was very strict and, and I would only have certain foods and I wouldn't have other, other foods. And then it escalated into bulimia, actually. I remember one night, you know, had, I hadn't had any quote-unquote junk food or what I, what I used to call bad food at all and one night I went into the pantry I remember it like vividly it was like 11 p.m everyone was asleep and I went into the pantry in the kitchen and I had a there were a box of shapes there and I went into the lounge room and I just binged on them and I was so so ashamed of myself because I hadn't had that type of food for years and I was like oh my gosh my progress and I'm gonna get fat and everything like that and then that's when I first threw up and I developed bulimia. So that started when I was about 16, 15, 16. And that went on for a few years. And that stopped when I was about, so it went for, on for a few years on and off till about 21. And then I had developed health anxiety. And because my health anxiety was stronger, I thought I, was, I didn't want to die from my bulimia. I didn't want anything to go wrong and things like that. And so my health anxiety kind of took over my bulimia. And then after I had struggled with bulimia, the binge eating portion of bulimia, which is you eat a lot of food, that still remained. And that piece took me quite a long time to overcome it. I didn't overcome it till I was about 25, 26 years old. So yeah, so pretty much my whole life I've struggled with food and weight. You know, those are the two things that have been really, really difficult to navigate for me mm, sure no thank you for sharing your journey and I think it's so sad isn't it that obviously from like really young like when you're saying at primary school that um yeah you became very aware of your body and I think it's very hard I think as well isn't it if you do kind of develop or go through puberty kind of earlier than your peers and you feel different yeah. that can be really really challenging can't it absolutely that comparison and, and having nobody to really communicate with as well about those things is really hard because you're kind of experiencing it on your own. You don't know what's right, what's wrong. You just have that comparison 
to really that's all that you can see right like there's no one to communicate mm-hmm. with and I you know my my mum didn't really have those types of conversations with me my dad didn't so and the school didn't of course so really it was just what was going on in my mind was just you know she looks different than I do so I have to look like her like you know all these other girls look differently so I have to change myself Mm, sure and then it sounds like for you kind of in secondary school like it sounds like it went to a whole nother level and that like people were kind of very critical and kind of like it sounds like you almost experienced bullying would you say in relation to kind of body image yeah for sure for sure and then I was like okay cool so what do I have to do about it I have to change my body so then I can fit in and that's what I that's what I made my mission pretty much Mm, sure yeah no sure I think it's it's so tough as well isn't it I think experiencing bullying I think puberty itself is such a hard phase to go through but I think if you experience kind of bullying or kind of criticism from your peers as well and you're so vulnerable with your self-worth and you know just think really so so help to highlight just how damaging that can be and obviously it clearly then impacted your kind of desire to like want to change your body want to fit in want to kind of and then that was reinforced almost when people kind of praised you for doing that yes absolutely that was when I think it got a lot worse because I felt like there was a lot of pressure to maintain it because that was where my identity lied that's where you know I got that connection via how I looked and how I presented and what I look like physically you know so that was what I thought my my whole self-worth was around if I didn't have that then no one would want to be around me and so that was a lot of pressure that I put on myself yeah no sure and no, really understandable so what kind of help did you get then Mel to kind of come out of the other side of this I didn't get any help till I was about 25 26 I mean I navigated a lot of it on my own I've always been into personal development since I was a small child I remember just grabbing the Anthony Robbins off the bookshelf and just reading that when I was very young and so but the thing is like I didn't have a lot of support and I didn't feel like I could reach out for help you know a lot of women everyone that struggles with food problems or any problem really especially food it can be so so shameful and I didn't feel like that one there was that help out there and two that I could be helped I thought that it was something that I would have to live with forever and so for me I just felt so hopeless and helpless around the situation and I didn't feel like it could get better. Like I did, my food was hard my whole life. So I didn't feel like, how can it be any different when it hasn't been for decades? Like, how is it possible for me to get past this? It just felt like a mountain that was just too, too high to climb. And so when I was going through bulimia as well, I didn't have that support. I mean, my mum found out about it, but she didn't know how to deal with it. You know, she she just told mm-hmm. me to stop it and basically she dealt with it the best way she knew how, but I didn't, in that moment, you know, when she found out, I didn't feel supported. I didn't feel validated. And like, you know, I felt like very alone in in that moment. And so when I went through after that, you know, the bulimia stopped because of the health anxiety and then the health anxiety, I just navigated it all on my own until about 25 when I got into a relationship with my partner and he was working with a conversational hypnosis person. And he said, come on, speak to him. Like, you know, you might, it might help you and things like that. I'm like, okay, cool. And so it wasn't for binge eating specifically. It was for some other relationship problems that I had and like things I wanted to navigate through. And then it just Mm -hmm. so happened that the food problems came up as well and kind of fixed itself through all of that. Because as you know, food problems aren't food problems, they're life problems as well. Like it's so much deeper than just food. 
And so that was when I really got help and really understood on a deep level where my binge eating came from, where my food problems started to come from and things like that. And then, so yeah, so conversational hypnosis, that's what he helped me with, the tools that he used. And yeah, NLP, pretty much those two things were what helped me overcome my binge eating. Sure. So it sounds like quite a kind of a holistic approach in a way of being able to sort of deal with the deeper issues, but, you know, and and deal with the kind of self-esteem, but also being able to kind of deal with perhaps more the symptom stuff as well and kind of working on all the different levels. Yes, yes. A lot of inner child therapy, a lot of parts therapy, which I really, really loved because it allowed me to really have that, find that compassion for myself, which I really didn't have any for myself. I, I just was very frustrated and really hated myself for a long time and just wanted my food problem to go away because it was causing me so much pain. And when I did this work, I, I just changed my whole relationship with myself, you know, and, and I just love looking at things holistically now. And it's just changed my life dramatically looking at, at things like that and looking at our binge eating problems as you know parts of us that are just in pain and I think that's really important when you look at it as something that is just a part of you that's in pain that needs love I think that it allows us to to go deeper and also build such an amazingly loving relationship with ourselves and then when we meet ourselves where we're at and, and get that validation from ourselves then things just shift on their own really I mean it's difficult but that is always the way through in my opinion from my yeah, experience sure yeah. so do you think as well did you find for you as well when you really did that kind of self-compassion work and really focusing on building self-worth did you find as well then that the kind of the kind of eating side in terms of being able to kind of allow yourself like a, a wider range of foods and you know reintroducing the old forbidden foods being more relaxed around food did that kind of happen sort of quite sort of organically and naturally when you were doing the kind of deeper work on the sort of self-love Not specifically. I actually had at the time been when I was 25, I had entered a bodybuilding competition. So I was training for that for a year. And so I was really, really strict with my dieting. I didn't feel like intuitive eating wasn't even on my mind then. But then after when I was doing this work, when I finished, I got injured like three, four weeks out of my competition. So I then decided, you know, I had just been done with with dieting and restricting and constantly fluctuating in my weight and yo-yo dieting. It was just so, so much for me. And I just didn't want to think about, like, I was sick of thinking about food 24-7. So I I came across the fuck it diet and with Caroline Duna, and she just completely changed my perspective on things just in terms of just her freedom around food. And it was so inspiring to see. And and I just like immersed myself with all of her her content that she had and all of, I think she had a Facebook group at the time as well. It was was many years ago. And then I just decided I'm going to do whatever it takes to heal my relationship with food. And like, even if I have to put on weight, like I just made the decision in my head that that's what had to happen. Whatever I had to do, to just not think about food 24-7 and stop fluctuating in my weight and just be able to think about other things, then I was willing to put on weight. Like I didn't care about that anymore. I just wanted to be healthy. And so I just decided to go all in on, you know, listening to my body and whatever that looked like and let it be messy. You know, I just was such Mm. at a place where I was like just over it and I just, I jumped all in, which I don't necessarily Mm. suggest to everyone. Like it can be overwhelming, but at that point I had just been, just every morsel of food counting calories my whole life. And I, I was dieting my whole life. I'd never not dieted and I was just sick of it and I needed to try something different. So I really thought there's nothing that I can lose here because everything else I've done just doesn't work. So 
Sure. It sounds like you just really got to that point, didn't you, where you were absolutely done with dieting. You were exhausted. I was. And, yeah. Exhausted. Yeah. Mm, sure. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, sometimes hitting that just weary rock bottom, sometimes it can be the real stimulus for change, can't it? Because yeah. it sounds like you were almost like just ready then just to try something different. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. How was the sort of bodybuilding experience as well? You know, how did that sort of, um, how did you find that in terms of your history of your relationship with food? Oh, yeah. Well, since I was, I mean, my, my dad has always been quite a healthy eater and always going to the gym. So and my household was always eat, like quite unquote healthy eating, always, you know, chicken and green beans and very lean meats and, and low fat and so I was extremely cautious, just raised to be cautious in general. And then when I was 18, I started going to the gym and, and bodybuilding and going to the same gym as my dad. And so I was exposed to a lot of bodybuilders and the way that they did things. And I didn't know any different. And so the way that they ate, I ate. And so I just thought that was how you were supposed to eat, right? And so other people, when I would go to other people's houses, I'd just be like, no, like that's not what I eat and things like that. So it was definitely like the way that I navigated the world and food was very narrow, you know, I didn't, but that was just what I knew. So it wasn't anything that I thought that was wrong with it until obviously I started developing these food problems, which I think stemmed from younger because of my body image issues. And then older, when I started to express myself with bodybuilding, it was just like the two merged together. And I was like, okay, I have to eat green beans and chicken and, and, and brown rice and things like that. And I was just very outside focused and very like susceptible to other people's opinions back then. And my self-worth was always derived from how I looked. And so, Mm. yeah, it was just a whole, whole host of things. (laughs) Mm, sure yeah and it sounds like a lot of influences there and it sounds like for you though as well you kind of you obviously didn't continue with the bodybuilding you did you sort of did that sort of competition did you but you then decided perhaps this wasn't the road for you yeah I mean when I finished my bodybuilding competition training for it I just wanted to get healthy again with food and just focus on other areas of my life and since then you know my relationship with food has been healthy and and who knows if I'm going to do bodybuilding again. I mean, I might, mm. but I wouldn't, not from over, obviously you have to count calories, things like that to get to a lean weight. But doing it back then, I did it because of low self-esteem. If I was to do it again now, it would be from a place of just, you know, something competitive for me to do, but it wouldn't be like, there's a difference in intention behind why I would do it today if I was to do it. I'm quite competitive with sport in general. Um, mm. But back then it was just, to get validation and be lean and just get all the attention. So that's why I did it back then. And I really think, I don't think there's necessarily a problem with bodybuilding specific. I mean, I don't think it's healthy long-term, but if you want to do like one or two competitions, fine, like just to experience it. I don't think there's a problem with that, but you have to look at long-term what it does to your body is, you know, and the way that it wears it down physically, mentally, everything, emotionally, it is a lot. So I don't necessarily think it's the healthier sport, but yeah, it was something that I wanted to do at the time. So, but after that, it was just intuitive eating and just focusing on getting healthy with food. And and now I'm just healthy, just happy with where my, my relationship with food is at and probably wouldn't want to compromise that. 
Mm, yeah. yeah no sure and it's so interesting with the bodybuilding isn't it because I think it's not a black and white issue like like most things really and I suppose yeah. it's just it's approaching it isn't it I guess with kind of wisdom and that self-understanding and you know it's just about one's intention I guess really isn't it and just sort of incorporating you know if you're going to do it again I guess you'd be approaching it with much more kind of self-awareness self-care and you know looking after yourself Exactly. I don't think for me, I don't look at things as black and white. I know some people do, but but me specifically, I like to, I have an open mind about things and I don't think things are necessarily good or bad. I think it's always your intention Mm. behind why you're doing something. I think that's really important as long as you're doing it because it's what you desire to do and not to escape yourself or anything like that. And and like you said, just having awareness of why I think that's fine. And as long as you're willing to accept and take responsibility for the consequences of what you're doing as well yeah I mean each to their own sure so Mel when clients come to work with you now in your sort of role as an empowerment coach can you talk a bit more about the kind of work you do and the journey that a client might go on with you sure when women come to me I like to just I take a very holistic approach so I want to know about all areas of your life like how long you've struggled with food of course right but I want to look at the other areas of your life because usually if a particular area of your life is taking up a lot of energy in terms of problem right quote-unquote problem then it means that other areas are are lacking energy right lacking focus and so that's how I look at it I'm like okay so what other areas of your life if food wasn't a problem what other areas of your life would you be focusing on and I always find that there's a lack in other areas of where they're not putting their energy, where they're feeling unfulfilled and things like that. And that is usually where, you know, why the food problem is taking up so much room because when our brains have a, when there's a problem, right, when our brains are like, oh, I'm looking over here, like my relationship with my career is not fun, but it's such a huge thing for me to shift. Our brain's like, okay, let me focus on this little problem over here that's like easier to manage. I'll just control food. I'll just control my calories and things like that. It's an easier thing to focus on than, you know, changing this whole area of your life that feels unfulfilling. And so I always like to look at it from one, a holistic point of view. What is it that you're wanting to achieve as well? That's important. Women come to me and they're like, I don't want this. I don't want that. But I I like to focus on what is it that you do desire? What kind of relationship with food do you desire? What do you want for your life overall? So, you know, contrast is really important, knowing what we don't want, but also we need to, contrast is important to know what we do want as well. And so having a vision for, for your life is really important. The women that come to me standardly don't have that vision. They've kind of give up on themselves and, and just allowed their lives to be consumed by food and just numbing out with food and not having the energy for anything else because a lot of, you know, self-worth and self-esteem is really, really low. And so working on that is really important too. So in terms of how I look at it, I look at it from a parts, like parts work perspective, in a child work, parts work. And so how my sessions tend to go and everyone's, every session is completely different. It's quite intuitive with what needs how I navigate each session but generally I'll look at the part of you that wants to actually heal your relationship with food and the part of you that doesn't want to and wants to stay stuck in this binge eating behavior and the way that I navigate that is finding peace and and navigating I imagine those two parts as like two child parts of you that live inside of you that are kind of at war with one another and the way that I do the work is just trying to find peace together A lot of the work is, you know, I believe that the more peace we have with the different parts that are within us, 
you know, because it's kind of like we have a family of parts within us, the more peace we have with those parts, the more they work together and understand each other and then the easier our lives will be. The more at war that we are with all these parts within us are at war with each other, they don't know each other, they don't understand each other, then the more chaotic our life will be. And so my job as a coach, I just try to find peace within the parts of you that feel that you feel at war with. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, part of me wants to do this, but then a part of me is sabotaging and things like that. And so I love to work with sabotaging parts because I think that they have a lot of information and, and goodness there. Even though people hate their sabotaging parts, I find a lot of, I just find it very interesting. And I think that the sabotaging parts are beautiful because they're protective and they're protecting mm. for a reason. And they're so, so powerful once you transform your relationship with your sabotaging parts and it becomes a shift in relationship. Because I don't believe that we can get rid of any of our parts, but we can begin to understand them and shift them and have them be there for us in a different way. Mm, sure. No, it's so interesting hearing you talk, Mel, actually, because I think it resonates so much with kind of the way I would approach working with clients and you know, I think it's interesting because I think the language I would use is slightly different from you, but actually that in terms of the core work we're doing is just so similar, really. Yeah. In terms of understanding, mm, sure, understanding eating as a, as a kind of coping strategy, really. And, you know, I think until you kind of almost get that on the table, like what you're saying in a way, understanding the kind of the different parts. And obviously there's a part of you that often wants to keep the eating problem. There's a part of you that's just so fed up with it. But it is of embracing all those parts, isn't it? And it's not until you do that, I think, that you can even get in a place where you feel more ready to even look at change because you're so conflicted. Yeah, exactly. Clients are like, you know, I want, and I understand because I was there so many times. So I understand the mm-hmm. resistance and just like, I need to overcome this problem. I need it. But this urgency to overcome your problem is the problem. Like you need to, like the problem is there. I always believe Every problem exists. I don't. I don't even like to call it a problem. It's just that everything exists in our lives for a reason, and we always have a payoff for the things that are in our lives, right? And like the things that we do, the actions we take, and the quote unquote mm-hmm. problems we have. And so it's about can we accept this part of you? And acceptance doesn't mean that you have to like it. You know, accept it. It's like COVID. Not accepting mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it's not there, right? We have to accept it because it's there. When you don't accept it, it's still there, right? It's still a reality. And so acceptance of the binge eating part doesn't mean that you like it or you want it to be there forever or that you're giving up on yourself. It's actually going to allow you to move closer to that part so you can understand it and shift it. And that's where we begin. When the resistance isn't there, it becomes so much more easier to just relax and just have some space to just let that part communicate to us about what it needs Mm, sure no I think it's so true isn't it about the kind of that whole resistance things I think you know when you're stuck in an eating problem you're often being as well so controlling with yourself or so critical and kind of forcing Mm. things all the time almost thinking that that's going to be the way that's going to help you but actually like you're saying in a way when we're kind of that's almost it's just that pressure is just too much isn't it and it's actually when you can let go a bit and stand back and offer more acceptance that actually the the work can begin almost that there's a bit of breathing space yeah exactly exactly sure no I love the bit as well of you sort of talking about kind of the, the broader picture of values as well in terms of like when you were sort of saying about how people sometimes will 
use the eating problem and I guess this is often unconscious but a way of um it's kind of way of coping isn't it and a way of if other areas of your life are too tricky to manage you know in a way Mm -hmm. you can sort of simplify your problems in a way like like I lose weight you know and control my eating etc when actually and then I, I guess it sounds like a lot of your work as well is kind of opening up those other areas and it sounds like that helps people probably as well kind of touch into the touch base with their kind of values and what's really important to them and again that kind of kind of taking a step back kind of helps you sort of deal with the problem doesn't it rather than kind of going intensely mm. at the binge eating itself yeah for sure because I mean the thing is they've got when women come to me they've dealt with the binge eating problem directly forever like they've gone on the diets and they've done all of the things and and so the best bet is is to kind of zoom out a little bit. You know, I always say there's three reasons why people binge. And and obviously this is like a category and there's different within those categories. I can break them down more, but not eating enough, not feeling enough and not present enough. So they're not eating enough. It speaks for itself. Yes, binge eating, a big part of it is you have to make sure you're eating enough. Like I'm not going to say that food isn't an issue for a lot of people they aren't eating enough because they've come from restricted diets and they're trying to control the amount they're eating and maybe they're not eating enough of you know different macronutrients and things like that perhaps they're not eating enough at certain times of the day multiple reasons ways that you can say they're not eating enough right and so mm-hmm. another and not feeling enough so dealing with the emotions and and of what's coming through and trying to numb through food so that's a big one and then not present enough just to food like just their minds are so bombarded and just their, their days are so stressed and they just have a lot on their plate and there's no room to really just be. And so I feel like those are the big categories as to why women binge. And it's usually a combination of the three. Mm, sure. And no, I love that. It's, it's, it's very so sort of simply put, but really helps to encapsulate, I think, you know, what's behind binge eating really well. Do you think, Mal, as well, is there anything that's kind of particularly comes up regularly with your clients in terms of kind of misunderstandings about kind of binge eating or do you think where people have kind of gone wrong in how they approach dealing with it? Yeah, for the most part, I just see a lot of trying to take action and and look at it from a very superficial level of I'm just going to change my diet and try to find that right way of eating that's going to help me overcome my binge eating. And it's just such a it's such a complex problem that it, that's just one layer to it, right? The emotions, I think, are the biggest shifting factor. Your relationship with yourself is going to dictate your relationship with food. Like it's not food is like your relation. I believe we, we're in relationship with everything, right? Relationship with mm. money, relationship with food, relationship with our partners, relationship with our careers, everything. And so I look at it as a moving unit, something that flows and energy flows in and out from it. And I look at every, because we take ourselves into every relationship that we have, I always, it always comes back to us. So your relationship with yourself is always going to dictate your relationship with these other areas of your life, right? And so mm-hmm. when I look at your relationship with food, what I see is this is how you're, you're in relationship with yourself, right? And so one of the biggest things is looking at the emotions. Like what are you trying to not feel? Like what are the, what are the emotions that you're trying to avoid feeling that is making you turn to food? Let's look at that because that is one of the most important things. So many people, majority of people on the planet do not have a good relationship with their emotions. They don't have that emotional intelligence to even know what they're feeling at any given time. And we just aren't educated as children from our parents and our parents aren't educated from their parents. 
and not being able to navigate your emotions and, and feel fully process your feelings is a really big issue that I think is a big reason why people turn to food. They don't know how to navigate. They don't know how to calm their nervous system down. They don't know how to activate their parasympathetic nervous system so they can be in a relaxed body. Like they're just trying to survive throughout their day. Their nervous system is just trying to survive and get through. And mm. food has been the only way that people have known one of the biggest ways that people know how to do that. Because when you eat a lot of food, your body can only process in a, in a relaxed body in a parasympathetic nervous system response, right? It has to activate that parasympathetic nervous system. And when you eat a lot of food, your body's like, oh my gosh, how am I going to digest all this food? And it, it comes to a point where you've eaten so much food, your body wants to start digesting it. So it, it flips into that parasympathetic nervous system response, that relaxed body. And so and you know, when you get that sigh, when you eat a lot of food, that's because your body's switching into that relaxed body. And so sometimes the only way we know how to, like, this is our subconscious, like subconsciously, mm. yes, food does make you feel better when you eat a lot of it because you jump into that relaxed body. And so that's mm. really important as well. There is something about food, eating a lot of it that, that gets you into that relaxed body, but we want to learn how other tools to actually help you relax your nervous system. So then you know, you don't always have to reach for food and there's other options available for you. And I think using the breath and, and using the mm. breath to relax is really a really like immediate, something that's been really helpful for me and my clients. Sure. No, it's really, really helpful to hear that. And I guess as well, like sort of thinking about trying to sort of prevent some of these kind of eating problems that going forward for our young people. And obviously there is more focus now, I think, just in our sort of culture in terms of being more emotionally aware and, you know, focusing on mental health in schools, et cetera. But I think there's still a long way to go, isn't there, in terms of people really growing up and feeling kind of confident in terms of how they manage their emotions and, you know, really emotionally sort of literate. Yeah. I mean, the thing is it always stems from our childhood and the people we spend the Mm. most time with. And so, really educating the parents more than anything, you know, educating the children. Yes. But the thing is children are always going to go back to their homes where they spend the most time. So if we can, I mean, there's a lot of beautiful resources like peaceful parenting and things like that. And really looking at it from like you being able to navigate your own emotions and starting with yourself is always going to be where the answer is. So then future generations will just be able to navigate through your own, you know, when I have children, I, I hope that they're able, they're going to be in a better place than I was because I have that that experience with the emotional work that, that I do and continue to do. But yeah, education and yeah, I just, I just think it's not talked about enough and it's really difficult work. You know, the inner yeah. work is difficult. It's not fun. And I understand why a lot of people avoid it. And at the same time, it's going to bring, it's going to be the thing that brings you the most peace, really going into it and having someone that you trust to help navigate through and actually be a mirror to be like, it's okay to feel this way. Cause a lot of the time as children, we didn't feel validated, seen, acknowledged for who we were separate to our mm. parents, having separate feelings and separate emotions and, and, you know, separate truths and experiences and ways of looking at the world. And so I think being a coach is, is very special in that way to give women the opportunity to, to feel validated and heard so they can learn how to do that for themselves. When you don't know what it's like, when you don't grow yeah. up, if you grew up in a household where there's no TV and you don't know that, you know, some countries don't have TVs, they don't know what a TV is. And so you don't know what you don't know. You know, Gabo Mate, one of my mentors, 
he says two things happen in childhood, things that do happen that shouldn't and things that don't happen that should, right? And the thing is we know what, what shouldn't happen, you know, mm. abuse and things like that, physical, emotional, all of these things. But we don't know what we don't know, you know. You only know your childhood and what, ha- what happens in your home and so you don't know that you're supposed to, your parents are supposed to mirror to you emotions and feel validated and seen. You just know what you know. You know what you experience. So. Mm, sure. I think it's such a helpful way of looking at it actually as well because I think cause it's important, isn't it, just having, in a way, compassion for parents. And, you know, I, mean, I know I'm a parent myself and, you know, always getting it wrong, even as a therapist. Oh, um, yeah. But, um, but <laughs> Yeah, but almost in a way, we can only we can only help our children deal with our emotions as much as we've worked on our emotions ourselves, can't we? And, and like you're saying, in a way, if you've never had that experience, in a way, you don't really know what you're not doing. You don't really know what you're missing because you haven't experienced that yourself. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, sure. But I mean, it's so true, isn't it? I think is in a way that the most fundamental gift I think we can give to our children is to to really see them for who they are you know as individuals yeah. without all our projections and to listen to them and to yeah encourage them to be yeah who they are and to really engage with them to help them understand their feelings to name their feelings to sort of sit with them through difficult feelings and exactly, I, I think there's such a, exactly yeah and there's such a pressure now don't you think as well almost that we feel like children perhaps feel as well a kind of pressure amongst everything else to kind of be really happy and coping and you know so again I think a pattern that can happen sometimes as well is that you know everything can kind of seem very kind of happy and okay in a family but then children don't kind of bring their difficult feelings because they don't want to kind of burden their parents or they don't want to kind of increase their parents anxiety and then that that's really tough then isn't it because then they're not the feelings aren't getting expressed and heard yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know if many, I mean, I'd be curious to know about, I'm sure this day and age, you know, parents are so busy and I'd be curious to know if they have, you know, most households have like family time and things like that. I think that's a beautiful way to invite, you know, just that safety of, you know, once a week being able to open up, like, is there anything that you want to talk about and things like that. But other than that, yeah, it is really difficult. But I think one thing is, like for parents that it doesn't have to be like, I'm not a parent yet, but I am going to make mistakes because I'm human. And so I don't yeah. think it's, it's in, I don't think it's like be, be a perfect parent, but I think it's just mm. be, if you make a mistake, just own it, you know, take responsibility for it. That's all you can ask of yourself. You know, I think being a parent, probably the one of the hardest jobs in the world. So I've, yeah. you know, much respect for, for, for parents and, and what mm. they have to do and have a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? And I think as well, it's just remembering it away because I think, you know, as a parent, you can sometimes feel like, oh my goodness, this is another area that I've got to somehow master and I'm going to fail out or something. But yeah, and I think as well, it's remembering, isn't it? Sometimes it's even just like the very small little quality bits of interaction can count for so much. It doesn't mean that you've got to be this kind of full on super parent 24 hours a day. (laughs) <laughs> no no yeah, definitely not good enough parenting <laughs> is what we're going for <laughs> <laughs> exactly okay. and you know even when we do the inner child work a lot of the time just what the what the child needs is and what your parts need is just for you to be there for them present 
that's all just present. And when I'm doing the inner child work with, with women, they're like, wow, like I asked my part what it needs and it just wants me to, to sit there and just hug, give it a hug and things like that. I'm like, yeah, that's all it wants. Like just wants validation, attention, acknowledgement. And, and that's all these parts want and that's all children want. They just want to be seen and loved for who they are just in exactly mm. whatever feeling they're feeling. And it really is that easy. You know, we don't have to make mm. it so complicated. But I think a lot of the time, because obviously a parent does not want to see their kid in pain, I think a lot of the time this tendency to try to fix and like kind of get through the problem quickly just because they don't want to see their child in pain, you know. So I think if if as a parent you can be more comfortable in your own pain and like sitting in it and being there loving to yourself in that way, then you'll be able to hold more of a container for, for your kids as well. Mm, yeah, no, so true, isn't it? And I think it's, it's almost like having permission, isn't it, not to fix? Because I think, you know, as a parent, mm. say if your child, like, I don't know, falls over and cuts her knee or something, mm-hmm. you know, in a way, the natural response as a parent is to kind of come in and fix and make it all better. But with the mental health, it's almost having that permission yeah. in a way that you don't always need to fix and actually just kind of being there and listening and kind of sitting with the person in the moment is really, really valuable in itself. Yeah. What I always say is give people the gift and not just kids, but anyone that's going through pain, like give people the gift of, of being uncomfortable because I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily to be uncomfortable, you know, whether it be in pain or if someone's going through a challenge, you can be there for them, but it's like, that's, that's their and I'm not talking about kids now, but in general, that's their problem to to kind of navigate through, like they're living their own lives, trying to navigate their own problems. The best you can do is just be there. That's all you can do. Mm, Sure. Yeah. Well, it's so great to hear all of this, Melissa. I think I could talk to you all day about this. (laughs) (laughs) So interesting. So Melissa as well, if we were to go out for changing tack now a minute, if we were to go out for a meal and, you know, imagine you were just down the road now. And we could go out to like a restaurant or something. What would be like your favorite meal to order if you could choose anything? (laughs) Great question. Well, if it was breakfast, I would say like big breakfast. I love bacon and I love like fried eggs and mushrooms and things like that. But if it was more of a dinner meal, I love burgers and burgers and fries. That's my thing. (laughs) And pizza. And pizza. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so if anyone's like, I don't know if anyone can hear, my cat was just meowing a bit and a bit earlier. Was- <laughs> Your cat agrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely agrees. Do you as well have a favourite quote or mantra? Something I kind of live by is just whatever comes up is perfect. That's what I, I always, that's kind of how I navigate my life. Like whatever comes up is perfect, meaning that it's what is supposed to come up. You know, I don't try to be like, it has to be like this, need it to be like that. Sometimes I can get caught up in that. So I like to remind myself, you know, whatever's coming up is perfect. That's what needs to come up for me right now to work through, to navigate, to, to you know, learn something from. And mm, Sure. So it really helps you just to kind of like go with the flow and trust the process of life, I guess, whatever shows up for you. <laughs> yeah, yes, because that. sometimes we have such an, a narrow view of like a, a narrow focus on the way things with the way that we think things should be and I think that yeah just kind of create some space and be like it's okay like the universe is doing its thing as well and and I'm just I'm going along for the ride and I'm still navigating but like I'm trusting that my desires are being looked after and I'm on my way <laughs> mm, sure yeah having that kind of trust yeah that sounds that sounds a great way to look at things and can you tell us something about you that might surprise us <laughs> yes so I 
I sing and I also play the piano. Those are the two things that I'm into at the moment. But singing I've done since I was a teenager. So that's something that I love to do for fun. <laughs> oh, no, lovely. And what kind of songs do you like singing? My thing is jazz. I love old school soul jazz, Aretha Franklin, all, all that beautiful, beautifulness. Mm. I love the soul, soul music. and But I do, I love any music, but soul and jazz are my favourites for singing. Aretha Franklin beautiful she's one of my favorites Joss Stone oh wonderful (laughs) and Melissa where is the best place as well if people are listening to this and they want to find out more about you where do you kind of send people to to find out more beautiful so two places that I am at most of the time that I post pretty consistently every day Facebook so I have a Facebook group called life by design so you can look me up there otherwise I'm on Instagram life by design underscore mal so you can find me there as well and catch up on my stories of behind the scenes and yeah there's a lot of goodies there for you to for you to binge on so yeah okay wonderful okay well thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for like sharing your story and your wisdom it's been really really helpful thank you so much i love it thanks so much harriet speak to you soon So I hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I did and do go and check out all of Melissa's details in the show notes. So if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. I'd also be hugely grateful that if you enjoyed this episode, if you could rate and review it, it just helps it reach more people and I would so appreciate that. If you're interested in improving your relationship with food and your body image you might want to check out my online courses and if you go to the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk you can find out more about the courses and I offer initially like a free taster course which is steps to intuitive eating so you can kind of dip your toe in and see if my approach might work for you. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm -hmm.